Well, that was awesome. Merry Christmas. I want to say, if, if you're visiting with a friend or a family, or this is your first time, welcome to Redemption Parker. Uh, it is a great joy and privilege to worship God, especially on this night together, uh, as this is just a pinnacle, one of the pin- two pinnacles of our faith. And so, welcome to Redemption Parker. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd love to shake your hand afterward. Uh, it is our uh, habit and joy to turn to God's Word now. And we're going to be in two places, in Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, prophet from the Old Testament, about middle of your Bible, if you have such a thing as a real Bible. And then uh, we'll, we'll be a little bit in the Gospel of Luke in the New Testament. Uh, but before we go there, I'd just like to uh, go before the Lord one more time and just ask for His grace to us as He reveals Himself to us once again. So, would you pray with me? Father God, we come before You now, Lord, amazingly, in the name of the Son who came down, and in the power of the Spirit whom You sent. And Holy Spirit, We just acknowledge and recognize that we need you, and we're so grateful that we get to sing these songs of praise and now get to be addressed by you through your word, and that as only you can do, you can uh, speak to every heart and circumstance, and again, this every burden that's in this room. Lord, you know every story, you're writing every story, and uh, you have a good purpose for every person here. And so, Lord, would you reveal that purpose to each person? through your word and through these songs and through this communion table now to the end that we might see and savor Jesus tonight. We ask in his precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, I just want to start. I know we have some young families here. I want to start with a, a parenting fail. Now, I've got, I've got permission from Zoe to tell this story because it's not really so much about her. It's about her bad parents. And uh, it, it go, happened 14 years ago. Uh, she was 18 months old. And she was our only child at the time. And we were living on the other side of the planet in, in Japan doing ministry to the military there. And, and uh, after a long day of, of ministering to the troops there, uh, we had this idealized vision of what we thought uh, this first real Christmas that she could celebrate. Like at six months, had no clue. We thought 18 months, man, she'll get it. And, and so uh, after a long day, we gathered all the presents. And, and we're on the other side of the planet, but, but she's the only grandchild at this time. And so the presents came in droves from aunts and uncles and grandparents. And it was a pile of presents about this high. And 18 months old has no idea that, that they're presents for her. And so uh, after everything, we, we bring her to it and we say, uh, Zoe, th- these are your presents. So you get to open them up. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what a present is. And so I said, no, you, you, tear, you, you tear it open. And she very meticulously began to open a present. And to her great delight and joy, her first present was a baby doll. And, and she was like, yes, this is amazing. And she began to walk away from the pile to play with her baby doll. And we're like, no, 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 Zoe, you, you've, got to, you've got to do all these. Give, give me the doll, Zoe. And she's like, wow. <laughs> there, there's, there's more. There's more presents for you. And so skeptically, she begins to tear open the next one. But the next one wasn't a doll. It was like clothes. And she like throws it. 
Now she begins to tear into all the presents haphazardly. We're like, who's that from? Who, we got to get a picture. We got to send that away. And, and uh, this meltdown began to happen. Uh, the, a Christmas monster was born in that moment. And, and we were like, what do we do? What do we do? And, and we realized then that we, what we realized later is you don't do that to an 18-month-old. Uh, there's a reason why there's uh, 12 days of Christmas. You spread that thing out. So that's a free tip for new parents here. Uh, but... But we created a Christmas monster, and it was born out of this, this hope and desire that this season brings. Like, we want you to enjoy it. We want you to celebrate it. And, and after all, we sing songs about it. Like, we didn't sing it here, but it's the most wonderful time of the year. And there's so much built up with the lights and the movies. Like, this is the year. This is the year where you get the Red Ryder BB gun and you don't shoot your eye out. This is the year when your deadbeat father, who's ignored you for a job for writing bad children's books, uh, finally walks away from that and embraces you as his son, even though you've been in the North Pole for 40 years. This is the year where all the promises of Christmas finally, just maybe, we'll, if, we, if we organize things and, and plot just right, it's going to be great. Great. Uh, but then, uh, of course, the difference between expectation, which are sky high at this time, and reality sometimes, that, that gap there is disappointment, right? My, my mother, who passed away a few years ago, loved Christmas. Like, like none other. She, she would go all out to, to get the Christmas and, and, set, and decorate the house and, and get the presents and get the, the pile of presents. Like she, she wanted us to enjoy Christmas. Like she, she worked towards this all year round and she built up into this. And so she did a great job, but it, it's those two or three times when my stepfather who raised me and struggled with drugs and alcohol his whole life would come home on Christmas Eve drunk or arrested in a DUI that I remember most. Because the heartbreak in my mom's eyes on that night, because there's so much, so much built into this. So much pressure uh, around this season, right? Like, like in this room, like we, we, we we're told that like, man, this is a great time. It's the most wonderful time of the year. You put on a smile. Like and maybe this year you won't get in a fight. Maybe this year politics won't come up at the meal that you're about to have. Maybe this year, whatever the case may be, you're plotting. Maybe this will be the year when all the promises of hope and joy and peace will, will finally come. It's like a, a unicorn. You just can't quite find it. And, and, and there's just, in this room, what we got to acknowledge, there's a lot of pain on this time of year. Like psychologists, counselors tell us, like, like in spite of what, what, what our songs tell us, often this is the hardest time of year. It's hard relationally. We, we know in this room, there, there's people that are, uh, are, are experiencing the holidays, experiencing Christmas for the first time in a long time without their loved one. Through death, through divorce, through separation. And so the Christmas is just a reminder, this is not the way life should be in this moment. I mean, it's hard, uh, it's, it's hard relationally in the sense that maybe this is just another reminder that you, you didn't think you'd still be single, but you're still single. And, and it's just a reminder as everyone is gathering with their families. And Denver is rated the second loneliest city in America. Did you know that? There's just a lot of loneliness on this time. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot that, that the season, for whatever reason, just kind of reminds us of that. And we try to press on and just hope maybe this will be the year. Maybe if we plot just rightly, maybe if, if, if we get the right gifts, then our, our kids will actually be happy past New Year's. And the toys won't break before January 4th. 
whatever the case may be, there, there's just a lot of pressure. There's financial pressure. There, there, we, we live in a time of what we would say great political pressure, a great political divide. There's relational pressure, all these pressures. And so our, our response is to try to manage and try to not, not say the things that would offend or, or hopefully not, not go to the place and be reminded why we don't really like our brother and uh, all these things. And, and we just kind of forge through. But what if that's not the point of Christmas at all? What if experiencing the promise of peace, hope, joy, and love was actually not in, in the perfect Norman Rockwell Christmas around the fire, but what if it was, well, what if it was like the first Christmas? <laughs> What if it was a little bit more messy? What if it was a little bit more dark? And in there we saw the light. I want us to look, I want us to go back and recalibrate our hearts a little bit. Back not 2,000 years, the first Christmas, but first 2,700 years. 2,700 years to a time in the people of God where, where things were dark. I mean, we think things are bad now. No, there was literally an army called the Assyrians on the horizon ready to rape, steal, pillage, destroy, scatter the people of God. And instead of turning back to God and saying, Lord, we, we need you, like it's, it's dark, that they, they did what you and I do. Well, well how, how do we work this out? What, what alliances can we make? How big's our military? Maybe if we give someone, like, they're just plotting to try to preserve things. And God is saying, I'm here. I'm your only hope. Yeah, things are going to get dark. And he sends Isaiah, and he begins to tell them these things. Things that, yes, it's going to get dark, but there is hope on the horizon. Trust in God. And in Isaiah chapter 7, uh, he, in the midst of kind of saying, yeah, bad things are coming, he drops a hint on the horizon. Now, he, he had... Drop the first hint of Christmas. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It says, therefore, you, uh, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, when Matthew quotes that verse in his gospel, he gives us the translation, Emmanuel, God with us. Now, the people 700 years B.C., they didn't really understand because in some sense, God has always been with his people in present, delivering, uh, continuing to renew his steadfast love for them. But, but they didn't understand what's this to do with a, a virgin and a girl and, and, and a boy named Emmanuel. That's a strange name, God with us. And so uh, they, they don't get it. And they continue to go their own way. They continue to rebel, turn to whatever gods they can. They, they, so maybe, maybe this God will help us out. Maybe this God will help us out. Maybe this army, the, the Syria, Syria will help us out. And, and they continue to plot. And they just just didn't get it. So in chapter 8, at the end of chapter 8, Isaiah says this, and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will, th- be, they will be thrust into thick darkness. It's this picture of, uh, of where we're at. It's getting darker, not lighter at this point in, in, in history. And so, uh, but then he drops grace on them again in chapter 9 verse 2 the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone verse 6 for to us a child is born for us a son is given the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace 
Now, when Isaiah writes that, he's, doing, he's showing us two things. He's showing us something about ourselves and, and something about God. Something about ourselves. We dwell in a land of deep darkness. It's this picture of people scrambling to try to find their way to God, but at every effort only drives them further away from God. So, th- so that just means like Christmas isn't about getting your life together and give it, getting all your ducks in a row and, and making sure everything's perfect so that God will be present in your midst. Christmas says there was no way you could have come to God. There, and all your efforts fell short and you are in deep, deep darkness. But there's hope on the horizon. And in the darkness, a light will begin to shine. So we fast forward 200 years. Have things gotten better? Uh, I'm sorry, 700 years. No, they have not. Again, politically, man, the world is a mess at this point. Again, a guy named Caesar Augustus, we get the, the August out of, out of his life, uh, is, is ruling on a throne 1,500 miles away. And he is so full of himself that he actually thinks he's God. And he had a choir to sing his praises. And the choir of young boys would sing, Glory to Caesar in the highest, and on earth peace to those whom Caesar gives. And he believed it. And he ruled a territory as far east as as India, and as far south as North Africa, and as far north as, as England. He ruled it with an iron fist, and he ruled it with oppression, injustice, violence, and a torture instrument called the cross. It was dark. It makes our current political situation seem like a utopia. If any rising would rise up, they, he would crush them, he would kill them, he would crucify the people in mass. And then locally, in this little armpit of the Roman Empire called Palestine, uh, there was a ruler called Herod, Herod the Great. But he wasn't so great, he was really just jealous. His, his, his first wife was said to be so beautiful Mariamne, that, that he had her killed because he was worried that she couldn't possibly stay faithful with that beauty. And he roamed the, palace, uh, the halls of his palace for the rest of his life, crying out, Mariamne, Mariamne, where are you? When, when the wise men came and said, where is he born, king of the Jews? Um, he, he was like, what do you mean, king of the Jews? <laughs> I'm the king of the Jews. And he was afraid of a baby. <laughs> And when they didn't come back and tell him where the king of the Jews was born, he ordered all the two-year-old boys and under in the area of Bethlehem murdered. It's dark. It's messy. It's relationally messy, right? Mary's maybe 13, 14, at best, 15 years old. She's engaged to be married, but she's pregnant. And we know that that, that's a red, red alert. Like, Joseph could have had her stoned to death for adultery. But because Joseph was a righteous man and a merciful man, his plan was, well, and he's like 16, 17-year-olds. He, he, he's, he's just kind of an out-of-work learning how to do a trade carpenter. And, and he says, I'll, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll marry her. And even though my heart's broken... I'll divorce her quietly in the end, and I'll just live my life out as a divorced man for the rest of my life. It's a mess. Until an angel comes and says, no, Joseph, this is of God. I'm at work in this. It's a mess. 
And, and so he takes his, his nine-month-old pregnant uh, uh, wife or wife-to-be and he, and he travels 90 miles from here to Fort Collins on a donkey and takes him to Bethlehem because Caesar has issued a decree that the whole world should be uh, taxed and, and there should be a census. And so you got to go or you die. And so he goes and he takes his fiance with him so she doesn't have to give birth alone under the scorn and shame of a small town. And he brings her, but they get there late because he's got a pregnant wife. And, and they get there so late that the town is packed wall to wall, door to door. There's no room. And it's a mess. And it's dark. And so the time for birth, Luke tells us, to, is to come. And just think about that. When, when I was uh, an expecting father, I asked another father, hey, what, what should I know going into this? And, and I remember his answer. He said, don't wear white shoes. I didn't know what he meant until I knew what he meant. And that's in a clean, sterile hospital. But Jesus, he he comes to a manger. I've been in a lot of mangers. Never have I said, man, that's a good place to take a nap. It's the mess. The, the, The scriptures tell us Jesus dwelt in unapproachable light. In perfect love with the Father and the Spirit. And he steps down. And when he steps down, it says something about God. And it says something that should encourage every one of us here. Because if we're honest, none of us have it all together. There's something going on in our life. There's some strain, some stress, some darkness, some mess in our life. And if we are to understand Christmas, we've got to understand Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. Not, not God who comes and lives a, a privilege, life of privilege. He comes all the way down. And he says, that's where I want to go. As low as possible. As dirty and messy as possible. That's where I'm going to be at work. So it's a mess politically. It's a mess physically. It's a mess relationally. It's a mess spiritually. He had this group of people that were Pharisees who thought that because they memorized this book that God somehow was extra pleased with them and, and everyone else was a second-class citizen. And so they uh, commanded everyone to follow exactly what they said. And their self-righteousness was just another attempt to go darker and darker and darker. But he comes. And he comes to some shepherds. That's what I want to look at. And in verse 8 of chapter 2 in Luke, and in the same region, there were shepherds out on the field keeping watch over their flock by now. Now, the difficulty is you're thinking children's pageant, little kids in towels, and it's so cute. Shepherds were disgusting. They were considered disgusting, unclean. They were considered uh, thieves. They were considered liars. Their testimony was not permitted in a court of law. That They were known for just kind of stealing, carousing, sexually immoral Uh, They were paid in sheep. But just to show you the systemic injustice at the time, uh, you were not allowed to buy any any livestock from a shepherd because it was considered stolen. But if you're a shepherd and you get paid in sheep, how do you make money? Well, then you have to go to the black market and sell it at a a massive discount. It's this systemic injustice. It's the least of these. And, And for the most part, they fit the stereotype. Immoral, corrupt, and it's to these people. Again, God is not wanting you to, or expecting you to clean yourself up so that you would be accepted in his sight. He simply wants you to acknowledge the darkness that you're in and, and reach out for the light. And so he comes to the shepherds. 
the night crew at Burger King. And an angel of the Lord appeared. No, that's, that's too kind to them. Uh, but they're, they're the worst. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. Yes, the glory of God. The, the sky gets rolled back for a moment. They're out there. They're shepherds. They're immoral. Uh, I've been in enough locker rooms to know that their conversation probably wasn't that great. It's not like they're studying the Psalms. No, the, the, uh, the sky opens up and they're like putting out their cigarettes. They're like, whoa, hey. And they're terrified. That's what it says. It says great fear. It's actually megaphobia. That's, that's the Greek megaphobia. They have a, a megaphobia. Of course they have a megaphobia. In that instant, they're laid bare. The darkness is clear and the light is clear and, and they say, oh no. They think they're done except for verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you gospel, good news of mega joy. It's the word mega again, mega joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. They get the gospel the least of these, the, 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 the people that don't deserve it are, are the ones that get to receive it. This is common throughout Jesus' life. The only requisite to receive the gospel is to understand you don't deserve the gospel. You're not good enough. You're, you're not moral enough. You don't have enough light in you. You have no light in you. Only the grace of God can come into that. And so they're transformed by that. They're, they're, they're um, changed by that. And before the angels go away, the sky rolls back just a little bit more. And it says, and, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. God gets the glory. We get the peace. God gets the glory, we get the peace. And so, being absolutely transformed by that. Oh, I don't mean their circumstances are transformed. They're still shepherds. They're still untouchable. They're not allowed to go to the temple and worship God in the temple. In, in every circumstantial way, their life hasn't changed, but in every substantial way, their life has been radically transformed. And then when you, you've seen the light of God and you see that, that it is your only hope, something happens in you. Look what happens for them. Verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. I don't know if you caught it, but this is our heartbeat at Redemption Parker. If you've seen the light of Christ, if you are in any way been rescued and redeemed by him, if there's any hope within you, then that should transform you. Notice the pattern. Let the Lord said it, let's go see. The Lord said it, let's go see. Like, at great cost to them, they, they leave their livestock. That's their livelihood. That's, that's their meal ticket. That's their only hope. But they leave it because something bigger has come. And they go. The Lord said it, let's go see. Oh, may we be a people that read this book and say, well, the Lord said it, let's go see. Jesus will say, well, when I, I'm going to send my spirit on you and, and you're going to receive power. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Our response should be, well, the Lord said it. Let's go see. Well, the Lord said it. Let's go see. That has to be the natural connection. For those that have seen and savored Jesus, that's the only connection that can be made. And so they go and they get to see 
the most amazing thing in the world, God with us. God with us. May may that be our heart as we walk out here tonight. Again, if you're here tonight and you're, you're struggling and it feels dark and it feels messy, that's a beautiful place to be. God with us. He loves to work in our mess. He's most at work in our mess. Most at work in our darkness. What we say here at Redemption Parker, uh, it's okay to not be okay. God will meet you where you're at. He'll come all the way down if he has to. That's what he's done. And then as transformed people, let's be people that say, the Lord said it, let's go see. Uh, I told you uh, 14 years ago we were in Okinawa, but before that, uh, my other mentor, you heard from Kita a couple weeks ago, but my other mentor who uh, was the pastor of the church I took over in Okinawa, he uh, moved on to Phoenix and, and we stayed in touch and I kind of took over the church and we stayed in touch and his name's Drew Arliscus. And as he went back to Phoenix, he found he had an affection for, a love for motorcycles, even though he's six foot nine. So I'm six five, four more inches taller than me. Uh, he, he loves his motorcycle. And so he makes a motorcycle look like a moped. That's a Harley by the way. And so he just loves that. But uh, so he's riding around and he loves people, loves the Lord. And one day he's at a coffee shop and all these bikes pull in and he begins to talk. And that begins a long multi-year journey, but it, it, it was basically a motorcycle club. You can think, you can think motorcycle gang, um, uh, but th- this club is called the Sober Riders. The only difference between them and say like the Hell's Angels and stuff like that is they're all recovering alcoholics and drug addicts and they know it and so they don't drink and they don't do drugs most of the time. But everything else, their speech, everything else about their life and what, what they like, what they entertain themselves, their worldview, pretty dark. But they began to invite Drew to go on rides and he began to get more and more in and he j- began to just spend time, more and more time <coughs> with these people. He sent me a, an email after Christmas a couple years after that and uh, in the email he just kind of captures this attitude. The Lord said it. Let's go see. Here's what he said. He said, Mark, hope the holidays were good for you. They have been different for us ever since we left Cadence. That's the name of the ministry we're at. I'm able to take time off during the holidays. Can you imagine that? He says, but this year was more like a Cadence Christmas than in, than in the last few years. We put the word out with my motorcycle club that Shelly and I would be at a particular Starbucks and then roll on to church for a candlelight service. It was a light, no-pressure invitation. We also got the word out that after the service, we were hosting an open house for all the sober riders. That night, Shelly and I pulled into our church parking lot in a pack of bikes. We had three rows filled. Most were noticeably nervous. One asked me, are you sure we won't get kicked out? He was serious when he asked. It was the most tense service I've ever sat through. At the end, our pastor got up and said, during this last song, we will light our candles. And then went on to explain how we would do that. We always have the new believers from this year come forward to get their candles lit. And then they walk the aisle to light everyone else's candle. But when Dave, the pastor, said, we will light our candles, before he had a chance to explain how, I heard it behind me a dozen Zippos crank up their fire. (laughs) My group was excited because finally there was something they knew how to do, make fire. So the glow in my section started a bit early. 
I just smiled because I knew somehow God was glorified in that. Meanwhile, Laura, a.k.a. Flipside, they all have a call sign, Flipside slowly walked down the aisle. She has a prosthetic leg due to a motorcycle accident this year. She had Pastor Dave light her candle as she has become a Christian this year. It was an incredible night that showed me the last year and a half of investment into, the lot, into their lives has been worth it. After the ser- service, our house was packed with many more who were unwilling to come to church. It was a cadence, harbor-style night. My whole family involved in loving our guests. And the walk of life many come from is amazing. We even had a couple strippers in the house, off-duty, of course. <laughs> says, this is such a fun group to love. A couple of pictures attached. So Drew's there, and then in his house, he has all these bikers hanging out in his backyard. They're, they're smoking, drinking their monsters and, and uh, coffee. And he's embodying Christ with us, God with us. Let me pray for us that, that that reality would hit home for each of us here tonight. Father, we, again, thank you for Christmas. We were so lost and in such darkness that we could not possibly find our own way home. And so you came. And while we were still sinners, you died for us. You make us holy. You make us acceptable in your sight. Lord, thank you for your presence in our lives. Thank you for your ongoing presence through your Holy Spirit. That you've empowered us. Lord, I do pray for those that are hurting tonight. Those that are suffering. Those that are mourning loss. Mourning a life that they hoped wouldn't be their life. I pray for your peace and your mercy to flood their soul right now. We thank you that we can pray that because you came down. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.